स्मार्ट यू आर लिसनिंग टू अमिंट प्रोडक्शन हेलो एंड वेलकम एवरी वन टू मिंट मनी कॉन्वर्सेशन पावर्ड बाय डीजी बैंक बाय डी बी एस एस पार्किसन लॉस एज दन थिंग यू डोट वॉन्ट सो माई नेट कनेक्टिविटी मे गिव आउट बट यू नो विशाल uh do our best nonetheless so with that let me introduce uh, our panel um, and i go in alphabetical order so we have anurag mittal fund manager at idfc mutual fund hi anurag uh, hi neel and thanks for having me here and we have ashish jain senior vice president and head of investments and forex at dbs hi ashish um let me proceed to our next panelist uh, nitin singh ceo at avendis wealth management Hello, Nitin. Hi, Neil. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. And finally, we have Saurabh Bhatia, Head Fixed Income at DSP Mutual Fund. Welcome, Saurabh. Thank you, Neil. Thank you, and good evening, everyone. Great. Yes, and uh, the light has come back at my place. Uh, God is kind. So, with that, I think uh, Ashish, uh, can you hear me as well? Yes, I can. Yeah. I'll quickly run through the panel panelists, and we we can begin with that. um so we have anurag mittal fund manager at idfc mutual fund we have ashish jain senior vice president and head of investments and forex at dbs we have nitin singh ceo at avendis wealth management and we have saurabh bhatia head fixed income dsp mutual fund so welcome everyone and thank you for joining in um let me first give out the problem statement before i get into the questions and really the issue for indian investors and savers at this point of time is a pretty serious one just as a um, benchmark if you see the current sbi savings account rate is just 2.7% and cpi inflation is running at 6.7% so somebody who is completely risk averse is going to lose 4% this year most savings accounts are somewhere around the 2 to 3% range um, and fds are only slightly better so in case of sbi the highest fd is at 5.4% so even there you end up losing money so really the task before today's panel is to help people overcome the big challenge before them one way to go of course is uh, down the credit spectrum so you take on some level of credit to risk and as i understand it uh, between credit and duration which is uh, taking on longer maturity paper there are cycles so some cycles are good for credit some cycles are good for duration um so let me put this question to the fund managers on this panel and i'll start with you anurag um is the cycle turning back to credit so if you look back at september 2018 the cycle clearly moved away from credit there was two years of defaults and downgrades um are we at another turning point yeah uh, thanks uh, and it's a very you know important question and especially like you said with the you know interest rates on uh, high quality credit products going down uh it's a question in everyone's mind that okay maybe this is the time to maybe go down the credit curve well we believe that this is uh if you really you know try to assess the economic situation uh when we started this year before covid and now uh even if you take the you know consensus estimate there is a 10% decline in gdp which uh you know most of the economists and uh, commentators are projecting uh in simple words it means a 20 lakh crores drawdown on the gdp while this will be you know distributed across government households and corporates but that's the kind of impact we are looking at the economy right now uh, and that's you know just just the starting point right if you even look at how uh, you know the tavi kamat committee report has identified the stress sectors it has outlined about 26 sectors uh which are likely to face challenges and that's just the direct impact uh so right now where we are we are in a suspended animation or in a standstill for most of the sectors many industries are just at 60 to 70% of their previous covid uh you know where they were operating so we think it will take a lot of time uh, for economic activity to even stabilize back to pre covid levels so this is absolutely not the right time to get into credit this is the time for preservation of capital 
this is the time to contain your risk because we really don't know how prolonged uh, you know this uh, corporate plus you know financial stress will really play out how will this play out you have a situation where you have a impairment in household balance sheets you have a impairment in corporate balance sheets and consequently then you have impairments in banks as well as you know shadow banking balance sheets which were anyways not strong if you remember even before covid even before when we started in march even that time you know uh, economy was going from 7% to 5% uh, we were looking at various drivers we were you know stretching our heads that what will really drive growth uh, for the coming year and on top of that we have had you know we have had once in a lifetime kind of a macro shock to the economy so this is absolutely uh, not the right time to get into credit uh, no matter you know uh, how attractive these yields uh, look at us you know also like you rightly said you know credit unfortunately sometimes we tend to you know kind of bucket sometimes with high quality credit uh, portfolios uh, these are two totally two you know separate asset classes and sometimes we look at triple a to double a spreads or triple a to lower rated spreads and we decide that okay you know those are widened and maybe we can look at them but if you really uh, look at the drivers of high quality portfolio and a credit portfolio these are sometimes uncorrelated whereas a high quality credit portfolio works in a period of low growth low interest rates you know credit or a high yielding portfolio works as a you know cyclical asset class which works in a period of you know, stabilizing and then recovering growth where you know the impaired balance sheets improve where the leverage ratios you know start to come down so that is, so they are totally sometimes chalk and cheese so we should not first of all compare uh, both these asset classes and like i said the macroeconomic situation does not warrant uh, you know any kind of risk especially on the credit side right now given the uncertainty so this is the time to preserve okay uh, so we have a very clear answer there uh, that you shouldn't be getting into credit at this point of time saurabh what's your view on this well uh, you know in a from a lehman's term uh, like we apply a logic uh, for duration perspective that if the growth momentum is slower and uh, government is borrowing relatively low then duration will outperform two years back none of us spoke much about duration because government was borrowing a lot in early early 2018 and the growth was also relatively uh, on a faster pace so if duration has the logic uh, related to growth momentum and government borrowing similar logic we apply to credit as well for credit to turn good you need positive growth momentum and lower cost of money as things stand today uh, we have only one of the two things working uh, the lower co- the cost of money is lower but the growth of the growth momentum is uh, is still fairly uh, plateauing at the lower levels and hence uh, the sensitivity to credit markets would have definitely reduced uh, but till the time yield curve is steep uh, as it is today uh, we expect the more fa- risk reward to be more favorable on uh, on the duration side uh, considering the long and yields where they are rather than uh, rather than the credit and the first point which you uh, referred to you know the problem for the investors in fixed income uh, if we look through i mean again this is part of the cycles uh, for different asset class but you know if we step back and look at what's uh, what the central bankers are doing world over it's not only with rbi world over the central banks are pushing investors to add the next layer of risk uh, and hence the short term yields have largely collapsed and there is very less to differentiate between cash deployment and incremental short term investment the next layer of uh, risk in uh, fixed income parlance confines to uh, duration and credit and till the time yield curve is steep duration uh, strategies provide more favorable risk reward before the next cycle uh, moves into the credit space sure. so we get going so, that way but little too early at this stage Sure. So now let me turn to the wealth managers in the room. Um, here we are. The fund managers saying that duration is, you know, better than credit at this point of time, but the yields are really low. Um, so that's one side of it. Um, on the other hand, you have these 
issuances coming into the market. So there are these NCDs which which come at yields of eight nine percent. There are corporate FDs. Uh, one really popular one one among retail investors is Hawkins Cookers, which gives around eight nine percent. Um, so Ashish, let me begin with you. Um, should somebody just pick one of these high-quality NCDs or uh, corporate FDs as a way of solving the inflation problem? So, uh, you know, Neil, uh, this is a very complex situation, absolutely unprecedented times. Uh, and when we talk about fixed income, uh, you know, when we look at a retail investor, we have to remember that fixed income is what? It is sunishai, which is fixed income. Right. So when we are speaking to our customers, we have to be careful about it. We have to be responsible enough that we give them information which is enough for them to decide. And therefore, what we do is uh, DBS being the safest has been awarded as the safest bank for 12 years in a row. Uh, we, we give them a perspective that there should be a certain amount of money which should be you know, from a three to six months put and parked in a fixed deposit. Uh, for any emergency requirement. However, at the same time, there are uh, enough avenues within duration, and I will not even, uh, you know, just now go against what the fund manager friends of us said. Uh, I don't think it's time for credit risk. But within the duration, uh, you still have good companies, and I don't want to name specific companies, but, uh, you know, they are double AA plus, where the yields are very from my perspective, I would not go uh, on specifics in terms of you know going and buying a one particular NCD. Uh, my recommendation to a customer, I should say my my uh, what I would refer to a customer would be that they go long, they uh, you know buy a mutual fund, which gives them a, a duration play. Uh, and therefore over a longer period, of, and you know now the you, you can't really look at a one year. You have to look at a little you know, broader. Uh, you can beat, uh, you know, the FD returns beyond a three-year period, given the fact that a mutual fund is much, much more tax efficient. Okay. Um, so, Nitin, uh, let me take this to you. Um, are there enough opportunities in the high-grade uh, credit space, whether it's directly through NCDs um, or corporate uh, deposits, or indirectly through mutual funds that you know you can you can go for? So, uh, uh, so, firstly, I'll just echo what everyone has talked about about versus about duration versus credit. I think, uh, and I have a little bit of interesting view that while uh, I think there is an opportunity in credit, but we need to be extremely selective. And I think that that uh, that uh, selective mentality will only come through when you investing into that And you know, that's not really available for the common man because he doesn't necessarily have the expertise. Sorry, Nitin, uh, the, if you could uh, be a little louder, um, that would be, yeah. Yes. My apologies. Can you hear me now? Yeah, okay. So as I was saying, I said, I said, whilst I believe that there is an opportunity in credit, I also believe that that opportunity in credit cannot be placed to funds today. You have to be extremely selective about the papers that you're getting into. Because I do believe that overall, from a credit perspective, given that whilst RBI has been managing you know, the volatility over the last few months, etc. But clearly, we are still in a we are still in a standstill. Uh, there's a lot of disturbance in the market. Somebody who needs speak, maybe the other person. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So I think. Uh, so I think. I think. In I think in my mind, it's basically over across two across two or three pieces. One is that even though yields have come off a little, investors should look at options to lock in yields in the two to three instrument space and therefore take advantage of a little bit of what's happening in the duration play. You have to be wary of credit risk and you have to be very careful about the instruments that you select. There are opportunities today. You know, there are certain categories of alternate fixed income that do look interesting. You know, some interesting MLD opportunities coming from good uh, high quality companies where you are seeing where you are seeing a spread uh, a piece there. You are looking at opportunities like REITs and invits, as well as low volatility hedge funds, etc., that are there within the markets today. So they are they are various ways of skinning you know skinning the cat. But I think in my mind, uh, the simple philosophy is that if you have small sums of money, you should continue going through the mutual fund route. Right? You don't have necessarily the capability, the expertise, or the time to be able to really find the right instruments. Right. If you are if you are a more sophisticated customer who has access, 
uh, as uh, uh, you know two two sophisticated wealth managers as well as the ability to be able to park larger sums of money there are interesting options available on the direct fixed income side which you should be looking at uh, you should look at locking in yields in two to three year instruments but you have to be wary of credit risk and really look selectively at a combination of either mlds or bonds or 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 aifs etc which which would really suit your uh, suit your needs i think i think credit from a fund from a mutual fund perspective is something that you should be wary upon uh, both because of the open ended nature and you know what we've seen happen happen in the past both with regard to outflows etc as well as with the diversified nature of the portfolio and what could go wrong in a few instances i hope neil that was uh, you could hear me sorry i had muted myself as often happens in uh, webinars um nitin could you explain what mlds are and aifs are for our uh, lay listeners so uh, so so uh, so one is of course market linked market linked ventures you know and i mean uh, mlds or ncds for want of a, for want of a, for want of a better word you know are clearly instruments that are just another way of packaging uh you know fixed income through a through a variety of issuers that are that are essentially working on it today and i think that that there is stuff that is available within the space but clearly as i said it is it is again available mainly for high net worth high net worth individuals and they should clearly be looking at it because one of the biggest advantages for mutual funds historically has been the taxation perspective and i think the reason why we've seen both on fixed income as well as equity over the last few years really the resurgence has been the advantage of tax and i think to a to a to a large extent you know currently people most large hni uhni customers are getting wary of remaining invested in blind pool vehicles like mutual funds and are moving into the direct space so i think there is clearly an opportunity from uh, from from market linked ventures which are either linked to various benchmarks etc the second one that's a very interesting opportunity lies within the alternate debt space which is basically looking at close ended vehicles like aifs etc that actually invest into either uh you know uh, performing credit or into or into venture debt etc where they where they sure, sorry just to explain to our readers so aif would have a minimum investment of 1 crore sorry please one, go on it exactly yeah i think i think the second piece really is that compared to traditional credit funds which have uh, which have which have invested into papers of varying credit etc but but have the open ended nature of it they are protected and buffered by the fact that these are instruments that you tend to hold for anyways these are funds that you tend to hold anyways from 5 to 10 years you are able to really live over the life cycle of the investments that you've made you don't need to worry about liquidity within them and and is something that we are seeing greater prominence of within customer portfolios so uh, uh, clearly customers are looking for everybody is in the search for yield i mean people are very hungry for yield i think the point that you made originally uh, uh, you know neil is very true people are saying that the traditional ways of investing in fixed income where you earn 2 3% you know uh, really doesn't justify in fact a lot of people are saying that uh, today today when customers get liquidity if somebody sells this company a very valid question is why don't i just keep it in the bank account rather than putting it into a liquid fund and uh, and it's and it's actually difficult to answer that question at times so i think so i think uh, the space for direct the space for direct fixed income is opening up the space for the fact that you will have low cost uh, alternatives and debt etfs is going to open up Uh, and you know the space for a lot of these alternate debt instruments is also going to open up and as is traditionally the case it starts at the higher end with regard to hnis and uhnis and over a period of time it gets democratized yeah so uh, before we move on from the credit risk uh, topic there was one question submitted by a user ravinder juneja about bank perpetuals um, the most common type i believe is 81 bonds um, there was a huge issue with yes bank when those 81 bonds defaulted but at the same time they've made something of a comeback in the market so even psu banks issue uh, these bonds and people normally perceive psu issued um, bonds as less risky so ashish can i bring you in on this um, are bank perpetuals uh, something for people to consider from the bigger safer banks could you say so what i wanted to say is that definitely there's an opportunity there in the P- in the psu bank space in the perpetual side Uh, there are certain perpetual bonds which are giving returns as high or YTMs as high as eleven percent plus, and have a government holding of eighty percent plus, uh, and therefore there is definitely an opportunity there. Uh, and there are certain large private banks as well where the returns may be a little, uh, you know, lesser. Uh, but 
you know, again, uh, I would definitely say that is a good opportunity to be. Sorry. Coming to the big question in the room. Sorry, Nitin, were you saying something? Sorry. Uh, you know, I think I think the only point that I want to add over there is that whilst there's an opportunity, people need to realize the nature of the instrument. And I think both uh, Saurabh and Murak can, can, you know, spread a little bit of light on it. People believe that for a public sector bank and the fact that it's 80% owned, at the end of it, the PERP, the perp is not a traditional fixed income instrument. And I think Yes Bank uh, really showed in terms of uh, you know how that uh, uh, how that how that story can how that story can play on. So you know with risk always comes return, and I think it's very important for people to have a sense of it. So so really for me, even if people want to get into perps uh, and sophisticated customers should as part of their portfolios, they need to be very aware of the risk that goes into it, and you know not just uh, look at the fact that it's government backed etc. Uh, for for there to be a safety net over there. I think, you know, Saurabh and Anurag can throw more light on that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Fair point. Saurabh, please, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, you know, from a perpetual point or perpetual uh, bonds or the 81 bonds, like, you know, the well guys mentioned, Nathan and Ashish, around uh, the benefits, pros and cons thereof. One aspect uh, which becomes very pertinent for these instruments to be part of uh, a mutual fund portfolio because it's an open-ended fund uh, which needs one important factor beyond credit uh, and holding is about the market liquidity. So the first filter, uh, what we can on is the entity which you look at uh, from a solvency point, should be uh, should be a point of the risk of uh, the risk of solvency should be the first thing we should be considered. And uh, second is the extent of market liquidity. A few uh, just because the government owned part the first filter, but the second filter becomes very uh, very tricky, uh, very tricky part. And hence, confining to select name. Because eventually, for any instrument, it's identified by uh, by its valuation or the, by, by the prices which markets determine, and uh, and these two filters largely help to filter out the extent of uh, these instruments, which give you both, uh, which help to mitigate both these risks, uh, which is on the solvency side as well as uh, the extent of market liquidity. And uh, as you mentioned, uh, this year there's been a lot of uh, noise around this particular instrument, and the entities or the banks who met through both these filters were easily tradable in the worst of times, be it March second uh, fortnight or April last week as well. That's interesting. So um, the fact that they remain liquid even in in that very tough time. Uh, Anurag, do you want to add something to this? Like, you know, like sort of rightly mentioned, but uh, just a couple of points. I think any investor uh, who, you know, looks at 81 bonds uh, needs to look at that ultimately these are, you know, hybrid debt instruments with a loss absorption feature. Uh, So, you know, obviously uh, in a bankruptcy kind of situation, uh, there is a possibility of a write-off. But even in a non-bankruptcy situation, uh, there is a possibility in, in case the capital ratios are not adequate. Uh, there is a always a feature in these bonds that you know the interest or the annual in, uh, payment could be withheld, uh, and it's not considered a default. Or the bonds could not be called uh, on the you know call date uh, in case uh, you know the bank cannot find a better quality capital. So from those, I think uh, investor needs to be aware. That uh, you know, firstly, the the call uh, date uh, should not be considered. Just you know, that it will it could it will be definitely called, or you know, the interest payment. Uh, like you know, sort uh, talked about liquidity. Uh, there are obviously you know sometimes uh, liquidity challenges. So as long as the investor is aware of all these you know issues, and then uh, also uh, they are willing to come according to the risk appetite. Uh, I mean, that's a different thing. But uh, you know, for one should certainly not just look at the white team of these products and you know just uh, assume that 
they will get that uh, immobilized returns. Sure. And just to explain to our listeners, YTM is yield to maturity. So it gives you a rough idea of the return of the debt fund um, if, if you deduct the expense ratio from it. Great. So let me move then to the big question in the room, which is, um, are we close to the bottom of the interest rate cycle? Anurag, I think we'll have to begin with you. Uh, thanks, Neil. Uh, I think on the interest rate side, uh, you know, as the, even the governor has you know, mentioned, uh, there, the utility of you know, further interest rate cuts uh, is not really you know, meaningful from here on. So if you see, uh, the main focus of RBI has now moved from rate cuts to more uh, transmission of the previous rate cuts uh, to, you know, to, uh, to the government bond yields, uh, to the loan rates, because uh, you know the last, if you really look at the current market situation, the overnight rates, uh, because of you know excess liquidity, the overnight rates are well below the policy rate of four percent or the repo rate of four percent. So uh, and they're actually you know close to hundred basis below uh, uh, the policy rate. So the the incremental twenty five or fifty basis will not really move the needle. And if you look at the ten year benchmark, it's trading at six percent. Uh, so what uh, it's more important from RBI perspective is to uh, you know uh, keep on uh, doing its unconventional measures, whether in the form of operation twist or open market uh, operations buyback, uh, to keep uh, you know to bring down uh, you know market interest rates or to at least ensure a smooth transition of government borrowing program. Uh, so to be honest, uh, we really don't you know expect uh, you know too many. Uh, rate cuts from here on, uh, I think the intervention from RBI would be more uh, towards market measures uh, of interest rates uh, rather than, you know, just uh, working on the policy rate. Yeah, that's a very good point that there are rate, there have been many rate cuts, but perhaps there isn't enough of transmission into market yields. And in fact, we've had a question on this. So this is from uh, Chetan Gill, who is a Punjab-based uh, financial advisor. He says that some uh, fund managers argue that um, the difference between the repo rate and the 10-year yield uh, is averages at 90 basis points historically. Uh, well, it's currently it's uh, uh, 200 basis points. So will will the uh, 10-year come down or will the repo go up? Uh, so if you look at, you know, where 10-year uh, yield was before the, you know, pre-lockdown and pre-RBI's uh, policy measures, the 10-year was trading around 640 in February. And it's still trading, you know, at around 6%. Uh, what it, you know, is reflecting, and this is despite uh, record rate cuts, this is despite li- uh, record liquidity, uh, despite the HTM hike, uh, which is, you know, held to maturity, which banks can you know, keep in the books. Uh, what it is reflect is the, you know, the heightened uncertainty on the, you know, uh, ongoing fiscal situation. And also uh, supply on both the center as well as state level. Uh, so till that you know uh, supply uh, overhang remains, uh, I think uh, yield curve could remain steep for a while. Uh, you know till uh, and like you know like I said previously, uh, RBI is focused more on smooth uh, you know transition of the government borrowing program rather than having a specific you know yield in mind that it, uh, it really wants to. You know, uh, take interest rates at uh, as long as there's a smooth, uh, you know, follow through of the borrowing program. Uh, what seems like that RBI is uh, okay with the you know current range of rates. So this, uh, to you know, to just summarize it, uh, I at least you know we think that uh, this yield curve could remain uh, steep for some time. Okay. Um, on a related note. And this is more for the wealth managers. So Ashish, I'll start with you. Um, there are, you know, savings accounts. There are FDs in some banks which offer quite high rates. And I recently did a piece on it, and then I tested it on myself. So I went and opened an account in one of the banks. Um, it's still in process, but you know, is, is this one way to go for savers to get more yield for more bang for their buck? Against the fixed income instruments. Uh, on the debt side, 
right, on the mutual fund side. Uh, you know, obviously, we have when we talked about the fact that it is fixed income, a, a fixed deposit gives you much much more certainty in terms of returns. Uh, however, you get comfort from the fact that mutual funds have also performed very well on the debt side. Now, important part is you definitely can look at these particular fixed deposits or normal savings accounts which are giving high return but taxability is what we have to keep in mind so if you're looking at a shorter term definitely an fd makes sense but if you're looking at a longer term i would say a, a debt mutual fund makes more sense uh, because of the fact that it is more tax friendly yeah that's a fair point uh nitin what's your take on this so uh, many of these savings accounts and um fds are in slightly smaller banks um slightly newer banks there's always that worry in the back of people's minds that oh what if the bank defaults um is it is it worth a um, a shot in the current en- environment no i com- i completely agree in fact and i think you answered the question itself i think investors should look at savings accounts or bank deposits for a 6 month to 12 18 months segment i think i think not, not longer than that but it's very important not to go deep down the risk curve in banks you know there is a reason why some banks offer higher rates compared to others and i don't really need to get into the details of it and i think and i think the one piece that people must realize is there is no guarantee from the regulator as is widely assumed yes in the past the regulator has Uh, come to the table, you know the whole question. Yes, bank, you know at the end of it turned around right. But at the end of it, uh, what people have to remember, and I and I mentioned this earlier as well, which is that you know you have to balance risk and risk and return, right? It does make sense both from a saving account perspective and a bank deposit perspective from a short term. But I think clearly don't go down the risk curve in banks, right? Uh, continue to balance the two together, and and you'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. um so on a related note um there are these gov- set of government instruments called small savings uh one of them in particular i want to discuss to begin with and then we can broaden it to others so they are the rbi uh, 7.1% floating rate bonds so as the name suggests these currently pay 7.15% but the rate is floating so it'll move up and down with um general interest rates um and if i look at the spectrum right now um i mean it seems to be a pretty high rate um i must confess i went and told my mother that you invest in this this is pretty safe uh, you you'll get a you know floating rate connected to inflation so i mean that aside um can i get some uh, views from the panel on this so let me start actually with you anurag although it's not really for a fund manager you know in terms of fund management but i'm just curious what do you think of this kind of instrument this kind of rate Uh, like like you said it's a floating rate you know and it will move in tandem our government continues to uh, regulate this uh, but i think uh, an investor needs to assess uh, uh, their liquidity and taxation so if uh, uh, while you know the credit risk is virtually not there because of the you know uh, being a government bond uh, there is a liquidity uh, constraint so as long as the investor knows about the liquidity constraint that you know uh, that they cannot liquidate these bonds uh, in the market and they will have to hold for a certain period uh, plus uh, if it suits their taxation uh, i mean obviously these are very attractive uh, instruments there right now okay ashish can i bring you in on this i think anurag uh, answered it. so there is a reset clause on these rbi floating rate bonds giving you a return of something like 7.5% right now but they get reset every 6 months they can get reset every 6 months okay? and the fact that there is a lock in of years. so you know uh, it is it is in the hands of the investor to whether they are okay with a, a you know time duration as long as 7 years and have that element of certainty and uncertainty there while you know credit risk as rather is negligible Uh, but at the same time the uncertainty of what it can get reset to is something which the uh, the customer has to decide if the customer is okay with it sure that's fair enough the other um, government instruments that are quite quite popular um, are the ppf uh, the national saving certificate there's a whole host of them and usually they tend to be little bit above bank rates with the government guarantee 
So Nitin, you know, why not just go for one of these? No, I mean you should. There is, uh, as we say, it is it is not an either or, right? I mean, I mean, uh, uh, pieces like PPF and NSC all have a part in your portfolio. They all have a certain amount that you uh, that you would typically invest to get your, you know, especially in a PPF, etc., to get your to get your tax advantages. And you must. I think I think the only point is that when you start looking at larger sums of money, they clearly do not offer value on a post-tax basis. You know, uh, mutual funds still continue to do better on a post-tax basis as well as from a liquidity perspective. But yes, I mean, TPF, NSC, all of these are part of a part of a customer's portfolio. They should all be taken in uh, in various in various allocations. Yeah, absolutely. So one related um, issue uh, because in mutual funds the the return is market linked, but the fund management industry has come up with the sort of intermediate product which is rolled down maturity it's a strategy which you know schemes across the board have adopted um, including idfc so anurag uh, let me begin with you um, can you explain what roll down strategy is and how it works how is it good how is it bad sure so, so yeah so a roll down uh, you know strategy is kind of a you know, defined maturity uh, where the maturity is set in a kind of a range of dates. So, for example, uh, let's say the, a product is a three-year uh, roll-down to start with. Uh, so, let's say you start the product in January of a year and it's a three-year roll-down. So, it ends in January to March of 2023. So, what the fund manager uh, does in a uh, roll-down strategy is that uh, they maintain that static maturity so every month that maturity of the fund should uh, come down and by so the investor can basically match their investment horizon with the maturity of the you know roll down of the product so it kind of gives a certain predictability and visibility to the investor uh, of the of the tenor of the you know uh, product sure sure saurabh is this the future is this the way to go I think we can't hear. Uh, this is certainly one of the options for a fixed income investor, ideally to meet his expectations on investments uh, through his horizon of investment. Of course, he he attains to tick the four boxes: liquidity, predictability, returns, and lower volatility. I'll repeat: liquidity, predictability, returns, and lower volatility. If you tick these four boxes, largely you expectations on fixed income investments are met. A roll-down fund largely helps you to tick the boxes for liquidity, predictability, and uh, lower volatility. So why don't I, uh, whilst you're waiting for Saurabh's connection to become better, I can maybe chip in here. As Saurabh said, it is part of the arsenal for mutual funds. I think the pro of the product clearly is that you know the kind of maturity curve that you're participating in. You know the kind of papers that are getting purchased, right? So that so that makes a that makes a big difference, right? I think, and you know, just picking up on what Saurav was talking about about the four pieces, I think the con clearly is if there is a chance of an interest rate risk, the flexibility to lower duration is not there, right? And really, what you have to see is that can mutual funds really stick to the discipline until the end of the roll down is yet to be seen. I think uh, you know this product has been there for a while. Uh, it has it has picked up a little bit of uh, weight now, but but it's been there for a while. And I think just echoing what Saurabh was saying, it, it would it would form part of the arsenal for any fixed income investor to some extent. So it's not uh, again as I said, it's not it's not either or. Everything has a part in the portfolio, and 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 so should this. Sorry, sorry, Saurabh, I stepped in when when we could hear you clearly. No problem. Thanks, Nitin. Um, so. You know, uh, there's one other part of debt funds that has become quite popular of late, and that is ETFs. There was a major ETF launch around six, seven months ago. Um, they are low cost. You get a sort of fixed yield. Uh, Ashish, what is your view of debt ETFs? Uh, so, yes, I mean, uh, they have seen a lot of investor interest, like you rightly said. It's from a you know, cost perspective. Uh, so these uh, most of the ETFs that you know have been launched recently have been uh, AAA PSU oriented, and that's kind of given investors a lot of comfort uh, on the you know credit quality uh, that will be there in the you know those kind of products. So that's you know one confidence that 
which gives to the investors that you know at least i know the credit quality in these products uh, that uh, there will be control uh, there will be control on the maturity uh, these are listed on exchange if i want to you know liquidate my some portion of my portfolio so although it's yet to be seen how you know whether uh, uh, investor can uh, execute a quantum size on the exchange but yet uh, there is an option so that uh, all this you know attractiveness is bringing investors uh, you know uh, notwithstanding uh, uh, it's a new product but yet uh, investors are preferring uh, you know the credit, the credit quality and the low cost uh, of, the, of this and since these funds also have a, def- a defined maturity profile uh, you know uh, investors both the horizon for which uh, they can uh, look at uh, these funds Sure. Ashish, do you want to complete what you were saying about debt ETFs? I think uh, these are uh, good products and they, additionally to what, uh, you know, Anurag was just talking about, I think most importantly, they also give you uh, liquidity. Uh, the only difference is you need a, a DMAT account, etc. So from a retail investor's point of view, uh, it makes the, co- the documentation a little more complex. Whereas on a mutual fund route, it is absolutely simple. So, you know, th- that's the only difference there. Sure. Uh, Saurabh, I think you're back. So um, let me get your view first on roll down maturity, which DSP also has in some of its funds. And then we can talk about debt ETFs. Sure. Uh, from a roll down perspective, uh, you know, I was I was referring to for a fixed income investor, what he needs to meet his expectations through his horizon of investment uh, is to take the four boxes, which is liquidity, predictability, returns and lower volatility. I'll repeat, liquidity, predictability, returns, and lower volatility. Liquidity doesn't imply the need for money. Liquidity implies the ability of the investments to reset when the interest rate phases change from high to low or vice versa. And herein, uh, the roll-down plays a very important aspect because it ticks these three boxes, which is liquidity, predictability, and lower volatility. But uh, you need an open-ended fund to uh, to optimize your risk for the returns. And hence, uh, the best investment, what we recommend, uh, is to apportion between roll-down and open-ended. So, so roll-down is definitely a very important uh, aspect to have uh, from your fixed income allocation. But it is not the only aspect to have. And lastly, from a roll-down, what we believe is it's important to get the right starting point for your roll downs if you end up starting a roll down to relatively lower yield uh, you can get a, a fairly predictable profile but uh, there's a fair amount of opportunity loss uh, and hence the starting point of the roll downs uh, become very important and uh, and hence we prefer uh, we recommend roll downs which is a relatively shorter tenors uh, uh, and the starting points to be at relatively elevated yields. Yeah, so that's um, a good sort of way out of being locked into um, a fixed yield for for too long a period of time. Absolutely. Um, And how about a debt ETF, Saurabh? Well, uh, again, now if I want to take these four boxes, a debt ETF alone cannot... uh, cannot help me tick all the four boxes because uh, it also uh, it is it is just a one more option uh, it is just one more option available but if I uh, match it up with a roll down plus uh, an open ended fund or uh, a ETF plus an open ended fund largely I'm, I I get my desired result so just the way roll down becomes an important uh, aspect. Uh, along with the open-ended, the, the the ETF is just one more option available. But uh, but from a fixed income standpoint, and to tick these four boxes, I think a roll down and open-ended works uh, in the long run. Sure. Um, so since we're running out of time, um, let me give each of the panelists um, a fair amount of time to solve the problem before Indian savers today. That <laughs> that yields are low, inflation is high. Um, you could end up locking a low yield for a long period of time, or you could end up going down the credit risk curve and suffering um, the consequences. Um, so Anurag, um, let me start with you. If you can give me a roadmap as to how an Indian investor can solve this issue. Right. I think, uh, 
so well on the inflation front, we do think that you know this is a short-term uh, disruption, and uh, you know inflation should uh, do come you know by end of this uh, year, and you know next quarter inflation should come down. Uh, but from an overall framework perspective, we think that you know uh, investors still has to allocate majority of his allocation, although the returns could be slightly lower than what he's used to uh, in the last 12 months. The majority of the allocation has to be in the core uh, bucket, which we call, which is basically high credit quality and low, uh, you know, low or a medium term uh, maturity profile. Because if you see majority of the investors, like we discussed, are still fixed fixed deposit investors, so they prefer a low volatility uh, product, both from duration as well as credit risk, which can be done only in a kind of a core market, which is your high quality short term funds, low duration fund, money market funds. Uh, while the rates, uh, you know, the returns or the you know yields, which those products are, uh, are quite low at uh, compared to the historical levels. But that's something which uh, we think that they will have to live for for you know for some time. Uh, a small allocation, depending on their risk appetite, whether it's duration or credit, uh, can be allocated maybe in a credit-oriented strategy or in a dynamic or a built fund. But majority of the allocation has to be in that you know core bucket. Uh, and as long as that framework you know is held uh, across interest rate cycle, it will help them you know uh, overall deliver a better return. If you see most of the allocation uh, which happened to credit funds, uh, which we saw the impact in 2018 to you know to this date, happened post demonetization when AAA yields you know fell, fell down and you know investors were looking for that extra carry and that is when most of the misallocation happened. So this is the time that investors have to be really careful. Uh, this is the time to stick to basics. Yeah, absolutely. Well put that you know investors shouldn't be pushed by um central bank easing by low yields into risk um stay the course but perhaps a small amount of the portfolio can um you know be put into something that matches your your risk port- profile is is that a fair summary okay um ashish uh, let me come to you um how would you approach this big puzzle uh, so what I would tell my customer is that you have to really, you know, there are array of products, right, which are, which have an element of risk and an element of return. Uh, so the customer has to really look at their risk profile and the time duration they want to invest in. Within these parameters, you will get enough opportunities wherein you can play uh, on a short-term curve to an extent duration stay away from uh, risk and you know get various options in each and every time duration so depending on the risk profile and the uh, duration to invest in you have good options and that is what we will uh, you know we can provide in terms of suggestions to a customer uh, to invest in across duration as well as credit risk yeah fair enough uh, nitin can i come to you on this sure can you hear me now yeah, so I think uh, I think the most important piece of fixed income is really the really the uh, you know the tenure with which these investments are being looked at. I think within the short term for uh, and then you know I want to be very specific with with regard to what we tell because I think at the at the end of this call people should go back to the message around what they should be doing. I think the short term deployment strategy has to be very clear, right? There are basically three three avenues. If you have to clear liquidity bucket, you can look at parking money into bank fixed deposits or corporate fixed deposits, as we spoke about previously, but good quality, not bad quality. I think traditional liquid fund investors can look at moving up a notch to ultra short term funds, etc. Right? Because, you know, uh, uh, I think for investors who are looking at deploying for the shorter term, you know, arbitrage funds continue to offer a better post-tax realization, and that's something that they should be looking at. Right? Uh, I think the interesting piece really comes from the longer term of uh, uh, the longer term in terms of whether you want to be in a hurry to lock in uh, returns and you know how you how you really want to look at it. Uh, I agree with Anurag that back to basics makes sense, and I think there are two pieces that should be happening over there. One is that if you're clearly seeing an additional spread opportunity available within the two to three year segment, then clearly investors should look at investing within you know either a mixture of short term corporate bond banking PSU funds. 
or at direct options, which I spoke about, be it either in you know MLDs or selective bonds of companies. And I think, and I think, lastly, from a strategic perspective, certain categories of alternate fixed income look very interesting, and these include both REITs, these include invits, these include low volatility hedge funds, as well as alternate debt products. Right. So a typical portfolio has to be has to be has to be has to be constructed in that manner. And if you're able to do that, the right allocation, the right asset allocation. You know, people talk about asset allocation being fixed income and equity, but it's it's not that simple. And if you're able to construct a balanced portfolio in that manner, then you'll be able to tide over and answer the fundamental question that uh, you know Neil that you that you pose, saying what should customers do during this time to maximize yields while at the same time minimizing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's basically a variety of strategies. There's no one simple answer. You yes. have to look at each. Yeah, yeah. Saurabh, um, can we get your views on this? Sure. See, uh, firstly, if it's a problem, then has, there has to be a solution. Uh, how we put across from a fixed income or for any asset class is, uh, you know, from a fixed income perspective, uh, you know, very simple strategy called FIRE. Find, invest, ride and exit. I'll emphasize a little bit more on find uh, and exit the strategies uh, because you have only three avenues to earn your returns in fixed income, which is conventional short term, which Anurag and uh, Nathan mentioned, duration and the credit. Now, it's more about finding these opportunities when they work and when they don't, which is when you need to uh, pick the exit button. When the yield curve is flat at elevated yields, uh, your duration tends to outperform. We saw that in September 18 or 2013-14, etc. In phase two of interest rate cycle, typically the curve steepens, and uh, through this phase, the conventional short terms outperform. Uh, and in phase three, when the yield curve flattens at lower yields, is when credit outperforms. And uh, it's more about identifying these three phases, uh, and rate cycles always play out through these three phases. And uh, anecdotally, if you observe, the cycles have turned when the rate, uh, when the yield curve is flattened at relatively lower yields, and hence, with keeping this, uh, keeping this from a layman perspective, without going into macros or any other aspects, uh, the shape of yield curve is what drives returns uh, in fixed income. A change in shape of yield curve is what drives returns in fixed income, and hence, uh, a roll down plus open ended will help you get the both the best of both worlds. Because in fixed income, to derive um, returns, you need accrual or you need capital gains. If you get both, it's a bonus. So roll down will take care of uh, the accruals and uh, open-ended will take care of either the capital gains or maybe higher yields. And hence, roll down plus open-ended, uh, which can enable you to navigate across the three phases of the rate cycles. Yeah, absolutely. Very eloquently put. So uh, there you have it, viewers. Um, different solutions, one big problem, but hopefully we've been able to shed some light on it. Uh, we'll help, we'll uh, help you solve it. And, um, you know, it's been a fantastic panel. Um, we've all had our lockdown connectivity issues, but um, you don't have to worry about that. We will be taking many of the ideas that have been discussed here and writing about them. So you'll have all that uh, explained to you and and uh, mentioned in print as well. So thank you very much, um, everyone, for joining. Um, and um, thank you. Happy investing. Thank you. Thank you, Neil. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you Neil. And thank you all of you. This was a Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast.